The following audio is from Life Journey Church. More information about Life Journey Church is available at www.lifejourneyva.com. Walt has brought us through the first two chapters of Hebrews. We're going to begin this morning in verse 1 of the third chapter of Hebrews. So let's begin by reading the text. Hebrews 3, 1 through 11. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus Christ, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. You know, I could actually stop right there and just preach for probably three or four weeks. There's so much in that first verse, but Walt gave me 11 verses, so we're going to be here a while. Um, (laughs) I'm glad somebody thought that was funny. (laughs) He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus was counted worthy of greater glory than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they've not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. You don't mess with God, all right? Just don't mess with him. Um, And if you're in Christ, we have some really good news to share with you. As I went through this text... (laughs) While I was preparing for this morning, I was reminded of how rich the book of Hebrews is. Every time I read Hebrews, you know, it's some books I can just read, and then there's others I feel like I need to study. When I get into Hebrews, it's like, oh man, there's, it's just so rich. So, I found so many different ways I could go with these 11 verses, and so many different messages that are in them. I realize, you know, you've got to focus, Ricky, on one thing and, and just go with it and do the best you can. So I actually spent probably the first two weeks after I realized what verses I was going to have without writing down a single word, just reading these 11 verses over and over and over again to see if something would just pop out to me. And in all honesty, something popped out to me pretty quick. And that is Jesus as our high priest. I mean... Wow, (laughs) that's rich, just knowing that he's our high priest. Unfortunately, most of us, none of us, are Jews living in the first century. We're not Jews from the Old Testament days. So to many of us, we don't even really understand what him being our high priest is really all about. So I'm going to take a little time this morning, and and we're going to, for the next 30 minutes or so, basically I'm going to set the stage for the next several weeks or months because Jesus as our high priest is throughout the book of Hebrews. We're going to be coming back to this message, to this truth over and over again over the next few months. So really this isn't even 
Jesus as our high priest 101. This is more like a brief introduction to 101. You'll get the full message over the time as we go through the book. And um, if you're not a student of scripture, and you really couldn't care less about seeing Christ in the Old Testament, you might as well leave. Because this is about seeing Christ in the Old Testament. I hope it's not boring to you. If it is, you need to wake up. Because he is all over the Old Testament and the richness of what he has done for us and what he is doing for us is just too much to pass. You need to know it. All right. Verse 1 begins by referring to the Hebrew believers that were being addressed as holy brothers and sisters. And we could preach on that. We are holy. We're set apart. We're we've, we're set apart to do what God has designed us to do. Now I'm preaching to Christians. If you're not a Christian, hang on. We're going to help you become one. But I'm preaching to believers. Alright? We all share in the same heavenly calling. That is to be in Christ, partaking of his nature and enjoying our mutual fellowship. Now fix your thoughts on Jesus Christ whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Fix your thoughts. Right there. If you want to know what to do as a believer, there you go. Fix your thoughts on Jesus Christ. He's our apostle. He's our high priest. Apostle means he's our messenger. He's our herald. He's the one who is planting the truth inside of you. He's the one who lives in inside of you, speaking to you. And he's our high priest, the one who's at the right hand of God Almighty, mediating and interceding on your behalf and on my behalf. So let's park here for just a moment and talk about the Old Testament priesthood and Jesus as its fulfillment. The priesthood started while Israel was being led by Moses in the wilderness. Every priest was a direct descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother. Aaron was of the tribe of Levi. So the priesthood became known as the Levitical priesthood. By the first century, there were probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,000, maybe more, maybe a little less, priests. They maintained the temple, performed the sacrifices for the people. Any type of purification ceremony involved a sacrifice. When the people sinned, they came to the priest who made a sacrifice for them. In other words, the priest was their mediator to God. Of course, the most significant job of the priesthood occurred once a year when one priest entered the temple, passed through the holy place, cleansed himself, offered a sacrifice for his own sins, and then entered into the Holy of Holies, carrying the blood of the sacrifice to be sprinkled on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant to atone for the sins of of the nation. It was a great honor and a terrible responsibility. For those few moments, one man out of millions, the high priest, stood in the presence of Almighty God who demanded perfection. Now, I can't relate. If I had been elected high priest, I would have had to have passed. I I don't think I want to stand in front of a Almighty God, who's demanding perfection from me. Tradition tells us 
that the priest had bells on the hem of his robe and a rope tied around his waist. Can you imagine why? If the bells stopped jingling, (laughs) it meant that the priest had not survived the ritual because of his own imperfection. The others, no one's going to go in to get him out. So they pulled on the rope to pull him out. Now, I don't know if that ever happened. I can't remember reading that in Scripture. Maybe it did. But just in case, they were prepared. In the book of Hebrews, we learned that God had chosen the method of the Levitical priesthood because he wanted a compassionate group of people to act as intermediaries between himself and his people. The priest faced the same challenges that everyone did, living lives of holiness before God. Therefore, they could speak compassionately for sinful men. But the Levitical priesthood was a foreshadowing of a superior priesthood foretold in the Old Testament and fulfilled in Jesus. The Levitical priesthood was never intended to last. It was leading up to a greater priesthood, a priesthood built on a different model, the priesthood of Jesus Christ built on that of a man by the name of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is such a mysterious figure in the Old Testament. And again, we read about him in Hebrews. He's mentioned in the Bible only three times. And really only once do we really get a picture of who he is. That's in Genesis chapter 14. There we learn that Abraham rescues his nephew Lot from four kings and is on his way back home from this battle. Now imagine with me, if you will, this scene that the Lord has set up for us in Scripture. The land of Canaan at that time was occupied by seven wicked tribes. Melchizedek is the king of the city of Salem, surrounded by the wickedness and the idolatry in Canaan. The name Melchizedek, you need to get this picture because this is really rich. The name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. He's king of Salem. Salem means peace. Okay? So we have the king of righteousness who's king over the city of peace surrounded by idolatry and wickedness. And Salem's not just any ancient city. Think Jerusalem. This is, this is Jerusalem before it's named Jerusalem, the city of Salem. So Melchizedek was king of the city, which would later be known as Jerusalem, the city of David. So there in the valley, Melchizedek comes forward to meet Abraham with bread and wine. Now what is that picture for you? We just talked about the covenant meal. We're going to have bread and wine next Sunday. Here comes Melchizedek, king of righteousness, who's also high priest of the most holy God, bringing bread and wine to Abraham. Now, I just, I mean, I feel chills just going up my spine right now. This is, this is a picture of Jesus Christ right here for us. Melchizedek blesses Abraham in the name of the Most Holy God. And Abraham gives him a tenth 
of all of which he has. Okay, the second mention of Melchizedek in Scripture is found in Psalms 110. A thousand years have passed, and there the psalmist said, and the psalmist could be David, all right? The psalmist says that one day the Messiah would be anointed as king. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, this is amazing how the Lord has worked this all out. When David conquers Jerusalem, where Melchizedek had been the king a thousand years earlier, David becomes an heir of Melchizedek, dynasty of priest-kings. So if Jesus is to be our high priest, which scripture says throughout Hebrews, his lineage is very important. We've seen that the priesthood under the law is of the lineage of Aaron, of the tribe of Levi. Now we've learned that the priesthood under Melchizedek is of the lineage of David. So where's Jesus fit in here? Jesus was not of the line of Aaron. He wasn't of the tribe of Levi. So he was unqualified to be a priest under the law. Instead, he's of the lineage of David, the tribe of Judah. So the psalmist writes, you are a priest forever in the order of, or the lineage of Melchizedek. Still another thousand years passes. We come to the book of Hebrews where we're at today. We find Melchizedek again. The author of the book of Hebrews wrote, this Melchizedek has no beginning, no end, and no genealogy. All just like the Son of God. That's a paraphrase. There's what it really says in the, I think, New International. Now, don't, don't misunderstand this. I don't think this is the writer of Hebrews saying that Melchizedek's fictitious. I think Melchizedek was a real person who lived during the time of Abraham. And of course he had a beginning and an end. But the Holy Spirit withholds that information from us to show us the type of Christ that Melchizedek is. Okay, so we've learned that the Lord Jesus is a high priest according to the priestly order of Melchizedek. So what's the significance of the order of Melchizedek? In what way is this order different from the Levitical priesthood? And why is this important? Who cares, right? The Melchizedek priesthood is the only one, here's your reason, the Melchizedek priesthood is the only one that can produce a perfect sacrifice. The Levitical order has men who can sympathize with our weakness, but they cannot produce a sacrifice that takes away our sins. Melchizedek order has Jesus Christ as its high priest. He came into this world as a man who could sympathize with us, and he has produced the perfect sacrifice once for all time that doesn't just cover over our sins, but removes them forever, as far as the east is from the west. So what made Jesus the perfect sacrifice? Why is his sacrifice different from that of bulls and goats? What does the perfect sacrifice accomplish? Actually, it's pretty simple. The perfect sacrifice is a sacrifice that satisfies God's judgment. That's what the perfect sacrifice is. The sacrifice from the Levitical priesthood might cover our sins for a day, even for a year, but it won't take them away. 
A few months ago, Jim shared the story about Jesus as the perfect sacrifice with Walt and me, and it fits perfectly with what I'm sharing this morning, so I'm going to share it. I'm going to steal Jim's thunder. When sacrifices were made in the temple, the sacrifices would be burned up until there was nothing left except perhaps some ashes. They never withstood the righteous wrath of God. They could never overcome his fury. They would never, there would never be anything left to signify that God's judgment had been satisfied. But then God presented his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for sins. And while Jesus hung on the cross, the judgment of God fell on him. All the sins of the world fell on him. Past, present, future, God's full fury and righteous indignation against all sin was poured out on Jesus as he hung on the cross. Wave after wave of the wrath of a holy God pounded the sun without mercy as he hung there. So merciless was the event that for the first time he sensed that his father had left him. So he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And after all of God's perfect righteousness and complete judgment fell on Jesus for the first time, the sacrifice was still there. It wasn't burned up. Jesus was still there. It was his sacrifice was greater than the judgment. God's judgment was satisfied. God's wrath had been exhausted. And then... As Jesus still hung on the cross, somehow, we don't understand this, but somehow, his spirit or God's spirit reached out and seized the law of Moses and the Levitical priesthood and brought them to the cross with Jesus. Then he seized all the religious rules and regulations and observances. We read all this in Ephesians and Colossians. And brought them unto the cross. Then he seized sin. And he seized death. And he brought that to the cross. And it was only after all of God's righteous judgment was satisfied. And after the law and religious rules and sin and death were crucified with him. That he then cried out the words that shook the heavens and the earth. It's finished. Now brothers and sisters, if that doesn't get you excited, you're not listening. That is powerful. It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. For no man took his life. He freely gave it for us. And then three days later he rose so we might have life. The issue of sin is dead to us. The sacrifice of Jesus didn't just cover over our sins. It removed them all. Not just past ones like the blood of bulls and goats. All sins have been forgiven and removed. One requirement remains of men. Turn from your unbelief and trust him. Not only does the Melchizedek priesthood produce a perfect sacrifice, but it exists outside of and prior to the covenant of Moses. The Levitical priesthood was for Jews and their converts. It was a construct of the law. Melchizedek existed hundreds of years before the law of Moses. And therefore his priesthood is not tied to the law. 
Is there anything that you and I need from the law? Anything to observe from the law? No. His priesthood is outside of the law. It existed before it, and it was the early promise. And now it exists and supersedes it. And one more thing. The priesthood of Melchizedek is eternal. Every priest of the old covenant had one thing in common. They all died. Their priesthood had, been, had not been and could never be eternal. Jesus died, rose again to live forever, and is at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on our behalf. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way that high priest enters the most holy every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he's appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Amen. All those who are trusting in Christ Jesus as their great high priest, their savior, have been perfected for all time by his single offering. There remains for such no condemnation. But dear saints, there's more good news. We preach the finished work of Christ. We know that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. A person doesn't sit down until the job is done. But do not think that the Lord Jesus sits there dozing. His work of redemption, justification, and sanctification are complete. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We've been placed into Christ and are clothed in his righteousness and protected by his might. We cannot be separated from him. That represents his completed work. As awesome as it is, there's actually more. There's now. He died for us. We've experienced, but we've all experienced doubts. Even despair. Jesus' priestly work doesn't stop with his sacrificial death on our behalf. Let me read to you some other verses here. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help, excuse me, to help us in our time of need. What can be better than knowing at your deepest time of need that Jesus Christ is there before the throne of God beckoning you into the presence of God with confidence? You don't need to have the right words to say when you pray. Jesus himself is interceding on your behalf. You don't need to have a lot of faith. Rely on his faith. Remember, he's your high priest. He stands before God on your behalf. You can approach God with full confidence because you never stand before him alone. Jesus Christ is there as your advocate. Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. 
Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What Christ does for us at the right hand of God is so important in our lives now, and so wonderful. I was made clean and forgiven because of his death, but I'm a new creation alive today because of his life. If Jesus were not at the right hand of God interceding for me right now, I wouldn't be able to stand here before you this morning. I'd not be able to live for him as a believer. It's Jesus' direct intervention and intercession on my behalf that keeps me moving forward. Do you know that with certainty that your prayers are heard by God? They are. Do you know why? Because your prayers, as weak and feeble as they may be, from your lips are mingled with the incense of the Lord Jesus' prayers. Your high priest adds his own intercession to your prayers, making them powerful and relevant. You and I don't even know what to pray, but when mixed with the prayers of our high priest, they become relevant, effective prayers with power. Many of us grew up hearing that God was angry with us. I grew up in that age where it seemed like all the churches in the deep south were preaching hellfire brimstone and God was just waiting to clobber me for my sins. All I had to do was just screw up just a little bit and God was waiting there to do it to me. But it isn't true. Jesus loves us. He doesn't just love us when we act good. He loves us. Like I love my children whether they're misbehaving or not. I don't just love them when they're good. I would sacrifice myself for them when they're bad. And that's what Jesus did. While we were yet in our sins, he died for us. You're safe, dear brother and sister. Not because of anything you've done to earn it, but because of what Jesus has done. Now, now that we've been reconciled to God through Jesus' high priestly work, we're welcome to draw near to him. There's no longer any barrier between us and God. All that remains is an abundance of mercy and grace ready to help us in our time of need. Our own work falls so short of the mark. I became a pastor of a small Baptist church in southern Louisiana in 1979. I was just a young squirt. I lived in a parsonage on the church property and I often was up late at night pleading with God. I didn't know what I was doing. I should never have been there. But I was pleading with God for his blessing and power to minister to the people in the community surrounding the church. My first Sunday I was there, there was eight people. The average age of those eight people must have been 65 or 70. And here I am, 21. Or 20. I think I turned 21 while I was there. Um, I'd pray, I'd pray, and I'd pray, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to preach. I visited all the community. I did what I could to get people in there. But one day, one night, late at night, I'm, I'm feeling like it's my own insufficiencies, my own short, uh, falling short, my own sin, maybe, in my life that was keeping anything great from happening in the church. So, I didn't, I didn't know what to do, except one thing I remember my pastor telling me to do was to read biographies of great believers, great Christians. So in that day, all the thing I could find was 
uh, biographies of great men like uh, Robert Murray McShane, um, praying John Hyde, Charles Finney. These guys are the most intense people you'd ever read. If you ever read their biography, it will put you to shame. At least it put me to shame. Charles Finney could just look at people and they would fall before the Lord, crying and repenting. Robert Murray McShane, so powerful. Praying Hyde would pray all night long. and In fact, it was said that his knee, he could barely stand because his knees were so big from being on his knees all the time. And here I am thinking, okay, I guess I have to do these things. And, and I just got under the pile. I, real, I was just really bad. So I began to feel like the only thing separating our church from greatness was me. I'm, I just fall too short. I was carrying this heavy burden. So one night, I felt an urge to call my pastor, Brother Steve Bennett, a um, man who led me to the Lord uh, when I was 15, baptized me when I was 15 years old. So I did. I told him, and I told him all about this burden I had and how I felt that I didn't think God could really use me, not in the way at least that he used other great men. So anyway, I measured it. I fell short. His immediate response to me was, you fall short of what, Ricky? I don't know. I, 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 I fall short. That's all I know. Ricky, until you know what it is you fall short of, you're going to keep trying to measure up and never get there. So what's the answer, I asked. He asked me, can you quote Romans 3.23? Now it just so happened that Romans 3.23 was one of the verses I was preparing in my message coming up. So yeah, I could. I had memorized it as a, as a teenager. <clears throat> so I was thinking it out loud. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as I finished the quote, a chill ran up my back. There it was. I had memorized the verse, but I'd never really paid attention to it. You know you can memorize verses and they still not sink in. Are you aware of that? I know that very well. I had preached it in sermons dozens of times, but I'd never saw it. Everyone had sinned, for all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. Well, of course I fall short. And you do too. Don't we all? We fall short of the glory of God. Do you remember? It reminded me of the story of Moses. Um, when Moses said to the Lord, I, I, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. And the Lord's response, do you remember? He says, you cannot look at my face. I, you, if, you, if you see me, you'll die. So he hid him back behind some rocks. And then he covered it up with his hand as he walked by, the Lord did. And only after he had moved away from him a while, he removed his hand so that Moses could see his backside. That's all. That's all you can see was his backside. And it still blinded him. So I'm thinking, wait a minute. The glory of God means God himself. I'm falling short of being God. I never heard anything else Brother Steve shared with me that night. All I could think of was what was in my head. But we fall short of the glory of God. If you are trying to measure up, you're never going to become God. You can't. 
That's what the measurement is. That's the measuring rod. If you want to measure up, if you want to somehow please God with your works or with your life, the measuring rod is being God himself. You can't do it. Nothing else approaches the Lord. None of your works are ever going to measure up to you attaining to be God. So, there's one hope, brothers and sisters, of pleasing God. Faith. The only thing that God is pleased with is your faith. Trusting 100% fully in Him. Then you've got a chance. Then you've got a hope. And that is our hope. This marked the beginning of a turning point for me. I was very religious and stubborn. (laughs) I still am. So I still had a long way to go. And I continued to try. But in my heart I knew there was no way. I was still looking for hope. I'll always remember that moment as the first time I began to realize I couldn't do it. I'd have to rely on the Lord Jesus. I'd had only one hope of living for God in a way that was pleasing to Him. I needed to place my complete trust in Him. Know and believe that you're clothed in Christ's righteousness and that you have God's approval because of Christ. You have 100% approval from God and there's nothing you could add to it. If you now, if you could attain to be God Himself, you could add to it, but you're not going to get there. Believe Him. Have faith in His Word. He isn't looking for sacrifice or piety, he's looking for faith. Now this is hard, isn't it? Dear saints, it's much easier to have something to do. It'd be so much easier, Walt, if you just simply stand up here Sunday after Sunday and tell us what to do. Just give us rules to live by. Step on our toes. Tell us how we need to read our Bible more. To pray more. Stop sinning. At least we would then have something to grasp. No, you've got to have faith. You've got to believe that God is your righteousness in Christ. It would lay an impossible burden on your shoulders and ultimately suck all the life out of you if you were given rules. Once you let go, dear saints, of this concept that you can earn your place in the kingdom of God and understand that Jesus Christ has already earned it for you, you'll never go back. Yes, the gospel really is this good. So this brings us to our journey marker for this morning. I hope I've said something that's meaningful to you. If you can take only one thing away from this morning, I'd like it to be this. Jesus is your high priest serving at the right hand of God, having made the perfect sacrifice on your behalf and now giving you renewed life day by day. Our band's going to come up. We're going to worship the Lord together. If you wish to talk with someone or would like to pray with someone, Walt and Jim be in the back. Of course, they and others are available for counsel and prayer throughout the week as well. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share with you. Let's pray. Dear gracious Lord, we continue to marvel at your wondrous work. We acknowledge your place as our high priest having provided the perfect sacrifice to satisfy the judgment of God for all time, and having canceled all our debts, broken the power of sin, fulfilled the law, destroyed the sting of death, and made us new creations. 
Lord, open your, our eyes so we may see you in all your glory. Renew our minds so we may see ourselves the way you see us. It's all in your name we pray. Lord Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Life Journey Church. Feel free to distribute this podcast, but please do not charge for it or alter it in any way. For more information about Life Journey Church, visit us at www.lifejourneyva.com.